Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, and it's Supercharged Tuesday. I, no, not Turbo. It's Supercharged. That's right. Yeah, fuel injection is nice, but I'd rather than moving on. And one of the companies I want to talk about, actually the only company I'm going to talk about, well, actually there's more than one company I'm going to talk about, but it's the same company because it has changed over the decades. Now, supercharging is nothing new. And it's been around for decades. In the early 1900s, they started supercharging race cars. But the first one to put an actual kit together to get you on the road on your streetcar was McCullough. Now, McCullough has changed names over the years, but is best known for the superchargers for the 1933 and 34 Ford. It was a very simple bolt-on system that cost less than $300. As a matter of fact, let me go back here and take a look. But if I remember correctly, it was just over $100. Now, Robert Paxton, who start, Paxton McCullough, it was his name, Robert Paxton McCullough, who started the company, was an engineering student out of Stanford University. He had inherited a lot of money from his uncle or his grandfather for whatever reason. They don't go into that. But he used that money to parlay it into a business. Now, being an engineering student and being a more horsepower kind of guy, he decided to make quarter midgets, which were very popular racing circle track, more powerful. He came up with a little two-stroke engine that was 60 cubic inches, and put out over 90 horsepower. So he was getting a lot of horsepower out of these things. And finally, he devised a system to make an all-wheel drive sprint car. The problem was, too far ahead of his time, it was too fast. And it was shutting down the competition so bad, they banned it. So he decided, what the heck? I'm going to go after production cars. So he came up with a centrifugal supercharger that fit on top and in front, you know, it's, it was a multiple gadget thing there. But you see, if you ever see a supercharged flathead Ford engine with this big round casing just below the carburetor running to another casing in front of it to a belt drive, that's the original McCullough superchargers. And they were good at making horsepower. They were not real good at lasting very long. And part of the problem was, initially, they had a captured oil system within them. So you didn't have to have any plumbing from your engine. Later on, they upgraded that to a system where it used engine oil. And there became a problem. Now, it did get the supercharger to stay cooler, which was a good thing. And if you changed your oil as you were supposed to, it lasted pretty good. The problem was, people did not change their oil on a regular basis. There was no consistency in that. The small orifices or holes that the oil would travel through would clog, coke up, cake up, oiling became a problem. That only lasted for a few years, and McCullough got out of the supercharger business by the 1940s for a number of reasons, but for cars. Now, they did continue on with industrial use. They made them for military vehicles. They made them for military powered or powered vehicles used by the military. And the superchargers were were pretty efficient way of getting horsepower. Now, they stopped making, again, production superchargers for cars in the 1940s. They did resume production 
in the early 1950s. And their choice, again, were Fords. And they made a whole kit for the 1953 Fords. 53, still the last of the Flatheads. They made them and upgraded them for the 1954s as well. These were do-it-yourself or dealer-installed systems that you could put on your Ford. Now, they did come up with others. As a matter of fact, it was an optional equipment item on Kaiser Frazier cars. That's right, you could get a Kaiser with a supercharger. The one I remember mostly was the Kaiser Darren, although that was their sports car with very low production of superchargers. But you could get it on the full-size Kaisers of the time, which really gave them a boost in power, which they needed because they were still using an antiquated small six-cylinder flathead engine. Now, they lasted okay, but they weren't the best. In 1953, at the Pan Pacific Motorama, which is here in Los Angeles, they had a big display and started promoting their aftermarket kits. Now, people took notice of this, and one of the people was Henry Ford. Henry Ford decided he's going to supercharge his cars, and they came out with a supercharger, the V, uh, let's see, VR57, I believe is what it was, that went on the Fords, and it had an F in it, which stood for the Ford application. If it had a CH, it was for a Chevrolet. Yes, they made them for Chevrolet. But the VS57 supercharger was what they came out with, and it became the F-Bird as we know it. And it was on 57 Fords and Mercuries in NASCAR racing. And that was before NASCAR banned the supercharger units. But it was the year that the manufacturers got together on a voluntary basis, so to speak, and dropped their support of NASCAR racing. They needed more horsepower. The drivers wanted them. They started putting them on there. Now, Studebaker then adopted superchargers as well. So in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, the Packard engine was dropped. Remember, Studebaker and Packard had merged. And the Packard engine was 352 cubic inches, but it was a boat anchor. It was heavy. Well... Studebaker wanted some horsepower. To get the kind of horsepower that they were getting out of the Packard 352, they supercharged their 289. It worked excellent. As a matter of fact, Andy Granatelli, who had used Paxton superchargers to power his Novi Indy Specials, was now the man with Paxton. As a matter of fact, he was the lead engineer and owner of Paxton superchargers. McCullough got out of the business, sold off their supercharger division to Paxton, which was another company within McCullough, but then merged off, and Granatelli became part of that. Granatelli and his brothers had sold their Grand Corps speed shop, very successful speed shop out of Chicago. Left Chicago, moved to California, and started promoting the Paxton superchargers. Now, Andy was a hell of a promoter. And he's the one that got involved with Studebaker, setting many speed records. And my friend, Paula Murphy, was one of the drivers for the Studebaker team. And they took the cars up to the Bonneville Salt Flats, set all sorts of mile-per-hour records and endurance records back in the day. And Studebaker adopted the Paxton Supercharger as a factory option. 
And one of the more famous of those was the Avante with superchargers. Now, wasn't there a supercharged option on the 57 Birds? Exactly. Michael, Mike St. Angel, yes, it was the F-Bird, as, as they called it. And they put a special note on that, or a special code on that, as I said. The F at the end of the VS57 name, or number, was the Ford version. And it came from the factory. That was a factory option. Now, there was a VR57 and a VS57. That the number stood for the production year, or when that unit was developed. Now, it was an efficient unit. The problem was, V8 engines started gaining not only horsepower, but RPM. And the gear reduction drive used on these was not capable of handling the higher RPM. So failure rates were pretty high. Now, the VS57 or VR57, the difference being how they were oiled was an optional piece on the 57 Fords and Edsels. They made, it was the same supercharger system, but there was something different, and I'm not quite sure what it was, between the Ford Thunderbird, which had the Y-block, and later the Edsel, which had an FE motor. Now, they still made them for the FE motors, and the, the Ford 352, Edsel used the Mercury style, which was a larger engine. But these units, circular, belt-driven, worked great. They had some issues with uh, longevity because, again, lubrication was the bandit on these things. Lubrication was very, very important, as it is, and we know that. But that became part of the problem. Now, Ford conservatively, conservatively rated the Thunderbirds at 300 horsepower. Paxton, in their testing, said, yeah, this is 360 horsepower with a little bit hotter cam, but they said the stock one was really about 340 horsepower, and it was designated, as I said, F-code. They were Phase 2 VR57 model superchargers. They say only 208 to 211 were believed to be produced. So they are extremely rare, and I've seen a few of them. And I think Mike Smalley, who's watching this, he's got a 57 Ford with one of these superchargers on there. But, I'll get into that a little bit, there were some name changes going on. Now, there was a one-year agreement with Paxton Products for the VR57 when it ended production to continue to support that. 57 Paxton publicly announced that the VR57 would still be available through them, and they called it the VR57B, either without an installation kit for a mere $295 or with the full installation kit for $495. That was for the 352 58 Ford V8 or the 361 58 Etzel V8. These were the FE motors. The Y block is now out of the picture. Ford is concentrating on the new FE motors, and that's where the superchargers came out. Now, Paxton also made them for Chrysler 300Cs and the 57 Corvette. Same basic model VR57. So Paxton continued to produce these. Now, if you are into all sorts of racing, kind of like I am, you remember go-kart racing and the MAC-10s, MC-10. This was a little two-stroke motor that was blazing in the go-kart ranks set multiple records, and was one of the top engines to get. If you wanted a fast go-kart, 
you got a Mac 10 two stroke from McCullough. McCullough had also branched off into equipment and started making chainsaws. This two stroke engine was used in chainsaws with a reduction gear and so forth. And go carters, hot rodders, got them and started putting them on go karts. About time you got here, John Gomes. Hi, Stephen P. Brown. How are you this morning as well? So the Mac 10, another product of McCullough. Now, again, it's Robert Paxton McCullough is the man that started this all. And he had Paxton and McCullough Motors and engineering companies and set up a whole bunch of things. Now, he made two-stroke engines for aircraft use. And the majority of his income was from that, not the superchargers. The superchargers were, although an integral part, were just a sideline. Now, the 58 Fords, Etzels, and had the Paxton Supercharger kits available. Now, they also offered them for the 58 Chevy 348, the 55 to 58 Corvettes, the 57 to 58 Chrysler 300s. However, they continued in popularity even after the factories dropped these. Now, during 1957, as I said, the Grand Corps guys, Anthony, Vincent, and Joe Granatelli, shut down, closed, sold their speed shop in Chicago, moving out to California where McCullough was based at that point in time and became part of that. And John Thompson, the chief engineer at Paxton, also tried to resolve some of the problems that the VF, VS-57 uh, suffered from and brought in Andy Granatelli as part of that. Now, the research done by Granatelli and Thompson found the planetary drive system steel balls or ball bearings were also significant contributing factor to the speed limitations of the VS-57. The friction of the planetary balls and so forth generated heat, and that's where they ended up with lubrication issues. They went back from the engine fed to an internal oil pump and reservoir, and that extended the life out, but the VS-57 put out more pressure. So a lot of people gravitated towards that, you just had to make sure you kept your oil changed, and it did all right. It just wasn't the high RPM unit. Now, they went on to different models, DOVS-59, and they did some more research on there. And eventually, Andy Granatelli bought Paxton. Yeah, he was the man. He was the guy who owned Paxton Superchargers. McCullough got rid of it. Now, they got rid of the street version. Larry Walker's saying, uh, Larry Walker, let's see, who's saying this? John Gomes, Larry Walker was the record holder with a 57 Ford sedan. He raced him on the way home from the 63 Winter Nationals, and Larry had just won it with his supercharged Ford and stayed with his cousin's new 63 Galaxy with a 406 Tri-Power. Yeah, they put out the horsepower. They really did. But, as I said, things changed. Things moved on. Andy Cranatelli also raced using Chrysler's, Plymouth's, Corvair's with single and dual blower systems in 60 and 61. Set numerous speed records, as I said, but he switched to sponsoring and getting things going with Studebaker. And as a result, Studebaker purchased Paxton products. Brought Andy Granatelli on there. So Andy Granatelli becoming the president of Studebaker, STP. STP sound familiar to you? Yeah. It's that oil additive. 
Well, it was also the performance division of Studebaker. It was a separate organization, and Andy Granatelli became the president of that with Vice President Sherwood Egbert. This was a huge advantage for Studebaker. Now they've got their in-house superchargers. And with the former McCullough Vice President of Sherwood and Andy Granatelli at the helm, it just prospered. However, no more aftermarket parts or kits. Now, McCullough still offered, or McCullough through Paxton, their their holding company, still offered parts to rebuild and service the VR57 models. But as time goes by, Paxton reintroduced what they called the SN60 in 1979. Now, since then, Paxton had modified and upgraded. Again, Paxton now is a different company because Studebaker went away. STP got sold off to someone else. And the STP motor honey, still available today, but it's not part of Studebaker any longer. Well, Granitelli remained with Paxton Products even during the 70s when superchargers were not a major line of the company. You know what else they did with these things? They used them in submarines and boats, military, as air movers. They didn't use them on the engines. They used them to move air within the ships and the submarines. So the Paxton superchargers, as we know it, were also used as air pumps, which is what a supercharger is, but they were used to circulate air within these units. Now, it went on, and in 2001, a company called Vortec merged with Paxton and then bought them out, and the Paxton name is gone. You're familiar with Vortec superchargers? That basically is the old Paxton. They phased out the name, and they kept servicing them for a while, but then sold off and destroyed all the Model 57 parts. Now, a gentleman named Greg Conley has picked up the production of that, and uh, some of those superchargers were called Novi gear-driven units, based on the Novi racing engines. So he services those. You can check that out. Craig Conley, C-O-N-L-E-Y. And he's picked up the manufacturing rights, the spares, the jigs, the molds, and such for the SN series and earlier units. So he's the one to do this. Now, what's Robert Paxton known for more today? Well, first off, he passed away in 1977. But he was the man who developed Lake Havasu, Arizona. That's right. From car guy to land mogul. Yes, Douglas, Avanti used the supercharger by Andy Granatelli. Andy was part of Studebaker at that point in time. He was the president of STP, which was Studebaker's performance division. And they manufactured and installed the superchargers on the Avantes, the Hawks, and so forth. Morning, Fast Eddie. So it was an in-house company at that point, part of the Studebaker conglomerate. But as Studebaker went away in 1966, Paxton moved out with Granitelli, and it became his company with his brothers. All right, now, Robert McCullough passed away in 1977, but he built up Lake Havasu, Arizona. He's also the man responsible for bringing the London Bridge 
to Lake Havasu, right? $2.5 million to buy the bridge and then ship it back to Lake Havasu and have it reassembled. It was, a, it was completed in 1971. Bob McCullough continued in the development of Lake Havasu until he passed away on February 25th, 1977. So the Paxton Superchargers have a long and rather interesting history. Paxton McCullough Corporations, you got the McCullough Engineering and Paxton Engineering and McCullough Engines or Motors. Uh, they originally got involved with aircraft. Actually, they got involved with the Superchargers on the early 30s Fords and then stopped production of those in 1940, focusing on military use and aircraft use. They also made two-stroke engines of high quality and low weight, not only for equipment sales, but for go-karts and racing. So McCullough, a varied history, part of Hot Rodding's legacy. McCullough, Paxton, Vortec. Superchargers, a way of getting some horsepower. Good morning, everybody. I'm Hot Rod Bob, and you've got gas. The Great American Auto Scene, brought to you by Valley Head Service, Irwindale Speedway, Irwindale Drag Strip, Service Tech, Moon Eyes, and Tucker Tire. Thanks for tuning in for gas this morning, part of Two Tired Guys Productions. And we're going to be coming back on the air with our full-length one-hour show. Actually, it's going to work out to about an hour and a half. We're working out the, the things right now because of the quarantine. We have no studio to go into. So we're going to be doing a special Zoom broadcast. It'll be myself, the wacky and wild, rocking and racing Joe Walla, and talking about cars, Randy Cardoon. So three segments of the new gas, the great American auto scene, comes back on air. We're going to do it a practice just to check things out. This Friday night, don't know that we'll actually publish that one, but we're going to go back in together as gas, the Great American Auto Scene Evening Division, with talking about cars as one segment, where Randy talks about the celebrities he gets to meet and greet and their car stories. Joe Walla brings rockin' and racing to gas, brings his old his old show, Rockin' and Racing, back. With gas and gas, Great American Auto Scene. We cover everything else for the hobbyist and the enthusiast. So thank you very much for watching today. Hope to see you tomorrow. Please tell your friends, share this, if you would. Let people know we're out here and what we're doing for the automotive enthusiasts or what we're trying to do. Brad Fisher says he had a McCullough on his go-kart, and it was fast, and it was. And they were great motors. Two-stroke, the Mac-10s. That was the motor to beat. And I remember as a kid, I always wanted a go-kart with a Mac-10. I couldn't afford a Mac-10 at the time. I had a little Clinton 3.5 horsepower motor, and that was good enough for me. But, uh, hey, those Mac-10s, they were the ones to get. McCullough, Paxton, Vortec, the history of supercharging. Before Magnuson and before mm -hmm. anyone else really had an aftermarket kit to put on your car. Now, the biggest manufacturer of superchargers prior to this was General Motors, the GMCs, 471, 671, 571, a whole series of superchargers that have led to a huge aftermarket. But Paxton, the heritage of the consumer, just like you and me, you could supercharge your car with a Paxton, a Vortec, or a McCullough. Depends on what era you were buying it in.
You guys have a great day. I'm Hot Rod Bob. You've got gas, the morning edition. Thanks for joining. Take care now.